City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. City Limits, I'm on air, it's Kevin Healy, I'm here, it's, uh, it's Zeb Peak. she's over there, pressing Hello. buttons, doing things, and uh, it's the third Wednesday, it's our housing day, and we didn't have to ride through any smog this morning, it was just uh, quite pleasant, in fact, a pleasant morning for a bike ride. Yeah, it was wonderful. And here we are, housing today, we, we had said we'd get... Um, we'd get Kate Shaw on today from Melbourne Uni, um, who uh, a planner and geographer, to talk about a referendum in Germany last year where people voted to uh, to republicise, if you look, whatever the word is, renationalise or whatever, recityise in their case, um, the uh, public housing that had been privatised and uh, quite quite an interesting result. And uh, Kate's had a look at that, but unfortunately. Kate at the moment, and this is quite unfair of her, quite selfish, she's actually down at a beachside resort at Inverloch uh, <laughs> enjoying herself and she tells me that the the line down there is not good enough or at least, you know, it's, it's out of the way a bit and she she feels you wouldn't have high quality uh, reception. So uh, we're going to do that next month now on Housing Day. Yeah. Um, so we, but we have got come of our regulars, Shane McGrath from the Housing with the H Action Group is going to come and talk to us about issues there. We've got Catherine from Public Housing. Um, she Defend Catherine, of course, friends of Public Housing, friend, and, and yes, and she's with a number of groups, in fact, and we'll be talking public housing issues. So we're not going to miss out on public housing issues. We're just going to miss out on what's happening in Berlin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I'm sure. I'm sure people out there are saying it's all I tune in for to hear what's happening in Berlin, but <laughs> unfortunately, uh, you won't hear it today. You'll hear it next month. Um, and uh, Kevin's desperately looking for a file through the file for the bits that uh, he wants to talk about first up. Oh, I uh, can talk about something. Well, go I on, yes. It. I've just found it, but you go on. because okay. uh, And I'm going to pour you. Do you want a cup of tea, Zip? Yes, that would be I'll lovely. I'll just clink a couple of cups to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. I'll put them relatively close to the microphone. There we are. I bought an extra cup in because Shane is probably going to come in and record in the studio and do it in the studio today although he can't I think under our rules he can't come in here but yeah, he can yeah uh, we'll have to do multiple he's studios. going to be in a different studio so we'll be talking in the same building in different studios but anyway that's uh that's how it goes so to speak as the Sinatra song said <laughs> um yeah Zeb uh yes so um I think we might have mentioned the curry curry gas plant before on the show um but there was an interesting very small article in Renew Economy by Michael Mazengub. Um And it was talking about the fact that some executive from Snowy Hydro um, has told um, Senate estimates that they believe, quote, that 660 megawatt curry curry gas plant um, will have negative emissions despite its reliance on fossil fuels. Um, so this claim was made by the chief commercial officer and, um, 
they say, so rather than suggesting the plant may be paired with a carbon reduction measure um, or switch to run on renewable hydrogen, um, this guy has just said that the Kari Kari project should take the credit for additional investments in wind and solar projects. Um, and I don't know, it's just very strange and unfounded. Um, so, so a gas-fired power station wants credit for helping us with wind and, and solar. Yes, and according to them, the fact that they will incentivize wind and solar investments means that even though they emit CO2, they'll have a net negative CO2 emission record. Good God. <laughs> it seems to me like the uh, the wind and the sun are coming out of the same spot in, the, <laughs> <laughs> in this bloke's uh, anatomy. Um, yeah, right. So, yeah, I just thought it was funny because, you know, we've been talking about um, this sort of idea of, like, negative carbon emissions and offsets and how, you know, it's it's a bit questionable and you can't just, like, plant some trees and say, oh, that's fine, then, like, we can fly as much as we want as long as we plant a few trees. But this has gone even further and just completely, like, no responsibility, just gone, we have a gas plant and that will make people invest in solar and wind somehow um, and therefore it's fine. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, well, I suppose it's, one, it's coming in the back door, so to speak, isn't it? But yeah, yeah it's, uh, it is, it's just, I mean, there are arguments because we know that all these big companies are desperate to keep using fossils while they talk about their green credentials and how they're going to achieve, like last week, um, AGL said it was going to close the power plant down at Loyang or um, yeah, the, the Gippsland Loyang plant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to bring it forward from 2048 to 2043. You know, and, yeah. and then you've got the federal minister saying this is terrible. It's going to cause great problems in dispatchable energy. I mean, 2043, for goodness sake, what's it matter? I mean, it, uh, they should be closing it next week. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, of course, um, making sure the workers don't suffer who lose their jobs, that there's some sort of, you know, there's, there's compensation and, and, and new jobs created, which there would be, of course, if you did the right thing. Yeah. Right, yeah. Now, one, the first one I just want to mention as a, in a, as a passing matter in a way, although the matter is serious, Rio Tinto, apart from blowing up sacred sites, is also found to be uh, a, a terrible employer. There was a report a couple of weeks ago, I think we all saw, about incredible sexism, bullying, etc., all, all throughout throughout Rio Tinto's um, establishment, and um, particularly on the uh, Western Australian um, uh, fly in, fly out FOFO, um, FOFO sites, mm-hmm. uh, FIFO sites, uh, and you'll be pleased to know that the person who, in fact, was the, the ran those sites for that whole period when the bullying was taking place, um, a woman called Megan Clark. Uh, this is great news. Last week, in the wake of all that, uh, Michaela Catch appointed Megan Clark. I'm sorry, no, it was, wasn't. I've got the wrong person. Joanne Farrell's the woman's name. Joanne Farrell uh, was the woman over there in Western Australia, and she's also involved. She's part of the establishment. She's part of. Um, she's a director of WA Museums. She's a. a well, she's on the University of Western Australian board. 
Um, she's uh, all sorts of things over there. And, and Michaela, this is the classic, given her background in terms, and Rio Tinto's background in terms of treating staff, Michaela named her the new chair of Safe Work Australia. Mm, okay. Mm, that's good. She, that should that should make work safe for people all over the country. Yep. Uh, and interesting to note uh, this morning that news reports that Russia is now, in fact, um, retreating some degree from the border, mm-hmm. but America, which says that you know it's imminent, it's going to attack any day. The war is imminent. Boom, boom, boom. Typical America. Uh, when they started to retreat, the Americans said, "Well, oh, this shows they're about to about to attack." So uh, uh, it's uh, interesting, that isn't it? And I, I raise that because in the past week, um, the U.S. has warned allies, including Australia, that we face a decisive decade to stop China. And this is classic. I mean, you'd think this has to get the pot calling the kettle award of the week. It it is spectacular pot calling the kettle, this one, Zeb. Yeah. It's warning us that we face a decisive decade to stop China from rewriting the international order to suit Beijing and become the world's most influential power. <laughs> um, its, its Indo-Pacific strategy announced, unveiled, commits the US to boosting diplomatic, economic and security ties, championing democracy and human rights. Well, that'll be a change. And supporting press freedom to combat disinformation. It emphasises the need to build resilience in countries to help them make political decisions free from coercion while preserving international rules, including freedom of navigation in the East and South China Seas amid competing territorial claims. The People's Republic of China is combining its economic, diplomatic, military and technological might as it pursues a sphere of influence in the Indo-Pacific and seeks to become the world's most influential power. We'll talk about the pot coin, the kettle there. Yeah. Um, it, its coercion and aggression spans the globe, but it is most acute in the Indo-Pacific. Oh, this keeps getting better in pot in the kettle. Our collective efforts over the next decade will determine whether the People's Republic of China succeeds in transforming the rules and norms that have benefited the Indo- Indo-Pacific and the world. Well, America's benefit is no end. We all know that. Our objective is not to change the PRC, but to shape the strategic environment. On they go. Uh, and believe it or not, the Chinese foreign ministry accused the US of pushing the China threat theory to smear, oppress and contain. I mean, this is a terrible thing, but uh, I just thought that was absolutely extraordinary for the US to to almost describe its own role in yeah. the world over the past couple of centuries. Yeah, <laughs> Surely there's something, you know, like a, a tiny faint bell ringing in the back of their mind. We're going, hmm, I wonder why this feels so familiar. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, and, of course, we Peter Dutton said that the Beijing is pulling all the strings on Anthony Albanese, and, uh, which, of course, the, the security bloke didn't say, but um, Peter said it, so it's all right. Right. Um, <laughs> And uh, you get the feeling that, uh, yeah, Pete's... Uh, oh, no, he, he knows. He, he says he's got absolute absolute uh, intelligent information. Well, you know, the words intelligent and Peter Dutton don't go together, do they, too well? But nonetheless, he says he's got mm. intelligent information that... Yeah, terrifying it. and Peter Dutton, I feel like, are a better match. Uh, As two yes. words. Oh, yes. well, three, well, I guess, whatever, if whatever. you count yeah, both yeah. the words of his name. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> getting off track. yeah. Um, and there's been a move at 
Melbourne City. I know on this station a number of programs refer to Melbourne as Nam, the indigenous name. And, yeah. And, but it, and uh, the Melbourne City is talking about that and they've got names for a number of suburbs as well, which is sort of interesting. I mean, uh, as to why particular suburbs would have them before they became suburbs, which is interesting, but that's the work, one worth having a look at. And the Melbourne, they now point out that Melbourne always refers to the Yarra now as the Birriyang Yarra, um, giving it its original name. Mm-hmm. And um, and these moves are, are quite positive and quite good. Yeah. But uh, one um, Indigenous person, um, Jason Briggs, um, said that the he did he did question in some ways. Um, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Jason. He 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 talks about various names and calling calling the Yarra permanently by its right title. Mm-hmm. Um, but one one Wurundjeri elder, Ian Hunter, he said he had never heard of the name Nam growing up, and he said, "How could Aboriginal people have named a place that never existed?" Um, a lot of young people come up with the word Nam, but I've never seen it. Um, just an interesting aspect to that. But I think you know if if, if if the indigenous people want to think that's the name, then I think we need to to adopt it and uh, and call it and, and and maybe use two names. But nonetheless, uh, it is interesting that they did they have a name for a place that wasn't there before the white people yeah. came. It's just an interesting aspect to it, I suppose. Yeah, it is interesting, and like the borders of the you know the colonial settlements aren't gonna ever perfectly match up mm. to the places that were that are there um sort of underneath those those buildings and markings but um yeah it's interesting it's also i suppose like a good reminder that first nations opinions uh, they're never going to be monolithic um and you know no one is ever going to agree perfectly on everything no. um but i think it's a yeah it's good that people are like putting in the effort to um try and find more appropriate place names and could well be names on a on a much broader and general basis i mm-hmm. mean nam could have met a whole a yeah. large area around yeah. around where melbourne is i mean there's, there's all sorts of possibilities there um yeah, but, yeah. speaking of rebuilding this is not quite a news item, but something that I found interesting that I found out recently. Um, it's about uh, urban design and like counterinsurgency. So apparently, and I'm sure you've heard of this, that um, Paris was rebuilt by or like redesigned by this guy called Hausman. Um, and part of the like design choices were informed by uh, like trying to quell civil unrest. So according to a CityWise article, the boulevards were designed to be exactly one cavalry squadron wide and squares exactly two cannon shots apart, um, and that made it virtually impossible for barricades to be created in the street. Like, you know, no more barricades like you see in Les Mis sort of thing. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I thought, like, the way that people design cities um, to control people is is a fascinating topic that I would like to investigate more. It is, and those cities also, when they were a bit like when Olympic Games come to a city now, um, a lot of people are displaced when those things happen. A lot of the poor Mm -hmm. suffer 
when they want to make the place look grand and eloquent and all that sort of thing. Uh, St Petersburg was much the same in terms of building its esplanades and things that uh, the poor suffered very much. There's, there's a book called All That Is, All that is uh, Solid Melts Into Air, the Marxist phrase, um, which looks at some of those issues. In fact, it looks at a lot of issues. It's a wonderful book, but uh, that's one of the things that looks at those those the development of those cities, yeah. Yeah, good. Something for me to research yeah. off air. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's yeah. your next news item, Kevin? Um, well, um, Glencore um, has been in the news for its way it uh, totally mistreats people all over the world, in fact. The great big, the big Swiss company, uh, mining company. And um, it's been in the news just in the last 24 hours or so because, again, it's, um, it's, it's doing a development that local Indigenous people are opposing, but it says that, you know, it's going to use your lie, I'm going to take into account and listen to them, and, you know, the usual, usual, usual. But it's currently being sued over the Mount Isa mine where I think it's been in the news for ages that children there are getting lead poisoning um, from the Mount Isa mine, which is smack bang in the middle of town virtually. Um, and been operating for years, and they're currently being taken to court by a mother um, over um, what alleged brain damage to her daughter, um, and um, and and of course the, it's the, the the blood tests show the higher than level higher levels than normal, and and it varies you know, often in in often in Mount Isa the levels of lead in the air are much higher and. And this is, and in recent times, they've actually lowered the what the amount they can have anyway. But it's the usual, um, the usual crap they go on with. I just thought worth looking at. Um, Glencore's defence listed dozens of dates in 0607 because this is a relevant time for this young woman. Um, when local and national media reported on a Mount Isa's lead issue in the campaign to get people tested. The Swiss miner has also pointed to numerous community information sessions, fun days and visits to schools and childcare centres during 06 and 07 that were staged to promote a campaign to get Mount Isa residents tested for lead. Well, they did when they showed they <laughs> it was high. Um, <laughs> Alan's lawyers have advised Glencore on its defence, whilst later on, it doesn't matter, Glencore's lead and copper smelters dominate the sky Line, but they go on to say uh, they they say um, that um, they 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 have lots of um, they even have things in schools to, to to urge kids to get tested. They even run school programs to help kids go and go and test themselves or make sure they get tested, uh, which is all very well. But if the lead's in the air, the best way to stop it, I would have thought, was to. Uh, to stop putting it in the air rather than anything else. But anyway, um, that's that one. But I, I rather like the way they say, well, they're encouraging kids to go and get tested and, and running school programs and mute little programs to help kids uh, rather than go to the core of the problem, which is the lead in the air. Shane McGrath, is he in the building yet, do we know? Yes, I think he's still just getting ready. Right. Well, why don't we take a break cause we, and we'll go to Shane um, after this break. Well, if you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, I sure know where you are. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. Well, check out the happening vibe. They're going to ring up and subscribe. If you listen 
person of three say, ah, oh, flap your ears. What? Who the hell is that? Flap your ears. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio. Flap your ears. Get out. Get the hell out of here now. Right, we're back on air, and we should have Shane McGrath there. You do have Shane McGrath here. He's, he's behind a screen in the studio next door. There he is. Yeah, um, I thought in the two years of the pandemic, I'd experienced every way to have a like distant conversation with someone, but through a glass wall at 3CR is a new one for me. Yes, but what a privilege for you, Shane. What a privilege. Um, the, Shane McGrath, of course, is from the Housing with AIDS Action Group. He's a regular on, um, on City Limits on the third Wednesday of the month. And, and Shane, I know you had a few items you wanted to talk about today, so I'll let you fire away. Oh, well, look, I didn't, I didn't uh, tell you this one, but the news that broke overnight, the, the, the tragedy that we've got to talk about is the John Curtin Hotel closing. Uh, feeling very sad about the news that the landlord won't renew their lease and wants to turn it into apartments. Uh, that great pub right opposite Trades oh, Hall oh, that has... There's, uh, there's history in every every bit of that wall at uh, John Curtin Hotel. Absolutely. I'm um, just so pouring another cup of tea here. Do you want another cup of bit more? No. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's... Uh, that's a tragedy for lots of drink, but there is a, there is plenty plenty of uh, it's, it's a bit of real estate, of course. So I suppose it fits into today's program, but it's uh, it also it does have incredible history. And uh, yeah. in fact, after federal intervention in 1970, the um, the left of the ALP, um, the the right took over the the, the John Curtin Hotel. It was called the Ligon. I first used to go there. It was mm-hmm. called the Ligon originally, way back in the 60s, and then it became um, the John Curtin. And the Dover on the corner, which is now gone, it's now a cafe or restaurant or something, right on the corner opposite Trades Hall there, mm-hmm. it's where the left went. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But an interesting story, the bloke who ran the Dover, totally apolitical, um, but he realised we were all, the socialist left was all drinking there and we were all <laughs> saying comrades. So he said, what's this socialist left thing? He said... We said, oh, it's, you know, it's just a fact. He said, oh, look, I want to join. So we joined and, st- and he started calling us all comrade. <laughs> but he had no idea. Anyway, um, <laughs> Shane, what, did, what else do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, one thing I wanted to touch on, which we've mentioned before, is the Social Housing Regulation Review. So state government a while back commissioned this, you know, quote unquote, independent report review into the regulation of social housing. And what we're talking about there, I mean, listeners on this show probably are, are all over this is the distinction between public housing and social housing, meaning like not for private, not-for-profit uh, community organisations, faith-based charities, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hag's view and the view of uh, quite a lot of public housing advocacy groups has been that uh, the other forms of social housing are much inferior to public housing, um, less affordable, less transparent, less accountable, uh, all kinds of things like that. And the review has aimed to kind of, you know, see what the differences are and bring some harmony to things. Um, The independent review body has just released its interim report. And, I mean, there are good things in there. There is the the sort of overarching problem that the whole reason for this is that the government continues to want to, you know, move away from public housing towards uh, private not-for-profit community housing. Um, but there are also some things in there that are, you know, specifically kind of a worry for us, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, there are, th- there are parts in there that are about making social housing more like public housing. 
but there are also parts in there about making public housing more like community housing, which we would see as a big, like, flashing red light saying, no, not this way, like, don't go. Um, But, of course, the government does love community housing, loves a bit of community housing, loves a bit of not being responsible or accountable or transparent (laughs) about things. So... Uh, a, bit, a bit of a worry to see the direction that they might be heading there. Shane, could you just explain that last one? Because community housing, when it started out, was run by the state and it was quite a good progressive idea. But now, of course, it's been... Well, tell us where it is now because it has been taken over by by semi-private interests at least, hasn't it? Yeah, so there's a, a whole range of community housing organisations uh, and community housing of different kinds. Some of them are, are big, you know, like people would know organisations like the Salvation Army that runs some social housing... Uh, there's organisations that are, you know, sort of specifically uh, housing and homelessness sector organisations that run a lot. Um, you know, there's there's plenty around Brunswick, uh, sorry, Brunswick, uh, Collingwood and Fitzroy close to where we are now that we could, you know, walk around and point out. Um, the, the big, I mean, one of the, you know, there's basic problems, you know, rent in public housing is 30, uh, 25% of your income, rent in community housing is 30% of your income. Um, things like that. From my point of view and what I've seen working at HAG, the big difference is in transparency and accountability and security of tenure. In public housing, they have very strong, quite clear policies, not as clear as they used to be, but still pretty good, uh, that let you know what your rights are, what you can and can't do, when someone will be evicted, when someone won't be evicted. Uh, Community housing has often relied more on the individual judgment of housing workers and you know, those people are often social workers, social work, you know, students, not students, graduates. Um, and I think my experience has been that there's a great deal of variation in the sort of uh, politics and values and judgments that social workers make. Um, some of them, of course, very progressive and doing really great work to help people, but sometimes quite paternalistic. And that's been a problem for lots of uh, social housing tenants. Mm. Also, given that the the rents are higher, thirty percent of your income, um, there it's been it's been alleged anyway. I don't know what happens in practice really, but that social housing groups are more likely to take if there's a choice, take someone who's they regard as more likely to be able to pay the rent on a continuum basis. Yeah, so you see problems like them them preferentially taking people on pensions over people on uh, unemployment benefits. Uh, I, I think likely an outcome of the review will be that they stop doing that, that they're sort of hopefully compelled to, to take people on a more equitable basis. Um, but you also see things like, you know, the state government, surprising to many, has a lot of money um, compared to community housing organisations. So if someone's in rent arrears in public housing, even if it's quite substantial, there is room to move that money around. You know, the Herald Sun will run a terrible article about how public housing is running at a loss, but they can afford to do that. They can afford to, you know, let the rent slide a bit here and there, give people generous terms to repay money they owe, things like that. Community housing organisations run with much smaller budgets and much less sort of tolerance for financial stress. Um, Harder to get repairs done if they're major repairs. Um, Much harder to negotiate payment plans for substantial amount of arrears that people might have fallen into. Um, So things like that make a big difference as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also just the idea that like it's bad if they're running at a loss. (laughs) Don't don't think some things just like cost money to fix. Like, I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't, running at a loss is sometimes just a necessary thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't think it's a loss. I think it's an investment that we make in people's housing and that we should continue to make. Um, the, the you know, the 
I hate this phrase, but the business case that shows that, you know, actually the government makes savings when it invests in housing. It makes savings in terms of things like uh, policing and jails. Although I don't know that Andrew's government loves those things, um, you mm-hmm. know, in health, uh, medical services, things like that. Um, uh, it's not really a loss except in the sense that the government uh, doesn't like it and it's not pop- not <laughs> particularly popular or vote winning. Yeah. Um, so they don't want to put money into it. And, of course, there are areas of government spending like defence federally and, 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 say, building roads that they call, they say, are, are investments that, that aren't demanded to make a profit anyway. They, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't ask them to return a profit at the end of the year. Um, that some things just, as, as Zeb says, some things just, just they ought to be there as a public service regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough... Um, uh, there was a, there's been a move in the last few weeks. Um, several powerful Australian uh, industry lobby group have joined forces to demand a 20 billion federal election promise for social and affordable housing. They keep using social and affordable. Unfortunately, the National Affordable Housing Alliance, um, and they go on about how it should be financed and and, and etc. But they keep using social and affordable, um, and not public housing. And they say at least. Um, they, they would have their rent capped at 30%, so they are talking about social housing. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the members of the alliance include the Australian Council of Trade Unions, Industry Super Australia, and the usual suspects, the Housing Industry Association, Master Builders, Property Council, uh, but there's also Community Housing Industry Association and Homelessness Australia, so there are vested interests in that, but uh, no mention of public housing in terms of spending this uh, $20 million. Yeah, I mean, 20, that, that, um, billion that's pretty disappointing. I, I mean, I guess I would be interested to see how, you know, things like Industry Super might I- invest in housing in a progressive way, but I, I don't re- it doesn't really sound like that's what's happening, that they haven't really thought these issues through well. Yeah, well, well a different one. CBUS, though, I mean, they're one of the biggest investors in particularly office and retail and the big, you know, in the middle, of, in, in big cities uh, around Australia. They're one of the biggest investors in real estate, but none of it provides housing for uh, for people who can't afford housing. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, and again, um, there's a... Um, the, but then it gets a bit more confusing because the Grattan Institute has also proposed a $20 billion social housing fund, etc. But they they say... Um, even though they keep using the term social housing, they say accommodation would be capped at 25% of household income, but therefore they're talking about, in real terms, they're talking about public housing, but um, in fact the 25% doesn't apply if uh, what they're saying otherwise is going to happen. Well, I mean, there's there's nothing that would stop the government from mandating that social housing rents be capped at 25%. Um, there's just no no appetite for them to do that because, the, like you say, the powerful interests in this area are, are sort of vested interests. It's groups like Chia, um, groups you know the groups that would be providing the housing whose budgets, like I was just saying, are already stretched. You know that that's a, a fact. It's not just them being, you know, money grubbing evil non-profit capitalists or something. The, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen that Grattan Institute report. I, I couldn't really comment on it. No, I think it, it looks like it's also part of the other because they're both calling for the same amount. So um, mm-hmm. there might be a connection between those two, although that was reported separately. Right. Um, there's also a, 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 a report that 
I think it's one of the one of the big capitalists has donated so much money to City of Melbourne to provide a homelessness place, and Melbourne's trying to raise money from all over the place. It was a it was a uh, to build a a uh, to build accommodation for homeless people in the city. But it seems to me again. You know, you've got the private sector in the city of Melbourne. Um, I don't mind the city of Melbourne getting involved, but but depending on the private sector to come up with money to build for homelessness when it's something the state simply should be providing. Yeah, I mean, those sorts of initiatives also tend to be very focused on short-term crisis accommodation and things like that, which, you know, I'm not saying that's not important, but it's not the long-term solution that we need. No, no. Mm-hmm. And... and Housing for the aged, what's anything there worth reporting at the moment? Well, look, I just want to spruik our radio show at the moment. It's yeah, been right. firing on all cylinders. Um, <laughs> the most recent episode, actually, maybe it was two episodes ago, we had a great interview with a couple of uh, housing activists from the 70s talking about some of the sort of radical direct action of that era around housing. Um, I always find it really exciting when we can uh, get some of that history onto the air because the organisation does still have a pretty rich sort of, you know, oral history or, or older members who you know, have a lot to, to tell us about things that have largely gone by the wayside. Um, you can check out that on our, you know, our podcast feed on the 3CR website. Um, coming up, we're going to talk to some of the residents at uh, Barrack Beacon, which is a, a public housing estate in Port Melbourne that is currently facing, uh, quote unquote, renewal, uh, mm-hmm. which of course means demolition, displacement, uh, all of the things that we've seen in other public housing renewal sites. Uh, and I think that would be another really good conversation with people who are in the middle right now of organising uh, to, to protect their homes. Uh, and do you do that um, program from Studio 2 or Studio 1? Uh, okay. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Studio 2 is my preferred studio, to be honest. I quite like Studio 4 as well. I don't know if you've ever been up there. Yeah, I know Studio 4 well, yeah. yeah. I've been around this place for a long time, yeah. <laughs> but I haven't been up to Studio 4 for a fair while, but yeah, that's right. Um, but, um, well, on that one, though, the demolition or the the development, mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit more about that? Because it sounds like another serious um, non-development in terms of yeah. public housing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's down in Port Melbourne. It's quite close to the beach. You can immediately see that that's massively valuable, lucrative real estate that they're sitting on. Um, but there's also, you know, there's a housing estate that's been there for a long time. There are a lot of longer term residents who've had, you know, long tenures there. And of course, that means there's a lot of older residents, uh, older tenants and renters there. Um, a, a very close knit community. And yeah, the, those tenants have received notice that their site is going to be redeveloped. They're going to be moved on. They're, you know, it's promised to them that they'll be able to move back if they want to at the end of that, that period. Um, and of course, people have the, the usual fears about, you know whether whether that's real, whether they where they might be moved to temporarily in the meantime, whether that other accommodation will be suitable, and you know whether this redevelopment is is actually going to benefit anyone. The uh, the estate is in quite good condition. There's no obvious reason that the that it needs to be redeveloped. Um, so again, it seems to be a, a prioritization of private business interests over uh, actual public housing. Mm. Mm, not good news. Um, this is a, a little bit off topic, but just something that I found out recently was that Al- Anthony Albanese sort of comes from like a public housing yeah. background and even at one point helped to organise a rent strike. Yes. Um, what do you think of that? Do you think, you know, that will affect anything in Labor or it's too far gone in the past and he's become... Um, completely uh, 
smoothed down by years of politics. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get in any trouble. We might want some funding from the Labor government if he gets in. True. (laughs) I don't think I want to use phrases like class traitor on the air right now. (laughs) Well, I mean, speak not not that class traitor reminds me of it, but Martin Foley himself, (laughs) he was once a public housing tenant worker. That's right. And as public housing housing minister, not public, certainly anti-public housing minister, a public housing minister, he was the main force behind the whole renewal program and privatising it. Yeah, I can't remember if it was the the last or the second last state election. He was flyering public housing estates, talking about his credentials as a pro-public housing figure and that history, and it's just just garbage, isn't it? Yeah, just totally failed to deliver that uh, as a minister. Absolutely. But get, getting back to that Port Melbourne situation, it was uh, I know uh, from you know years past, and I know it's been gentrified incredibly in recent years, but nonetheless, the working class in Port Melbourne have a real community thing about themselves. So. Once that gets dispersed, it is quite awful for people, um, particularly people yeah. who've lived there for you know, eons, yeah, um, that getting dispersed away from that community, even if they promise they can come back, is quite a traumatic experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pretty awful. Um, all right, anything else you wanted to talk about about housing with the AIDS at this stage? Because um, there's been quite a bit happening in that area of, of AIDS care people and... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't really work specifically in residential aged care, so I, I probably don't have a, a very, much, you know, my, my opinion about that's probably not much better informed than anyone else's. Um, the Retirement Villages Act review, the Victorian government's review of retirement villages is still going on, so um, I, I guess we're still hoping for some progressive reform in that area, although, you know, certainly not holding our breath, um, but that's something that we might have more news about in the near future. Uh, but if you're a retirement village resident, I think it would be a great time to make your views known to your uh, local member of parliament, uh, what you need in terms of uh, better protections, better rights, more clarity, um, less exploitation, all of those things. Yeah. I know you've got to go in a minute as well, Shane, but also there was a report recently that retirement costs are climbing at the fastest rate in a decade and that um, people, on particularly older people on fixed income, are finding it harder and harder to keep surviving. Um, I'm sure if they're in the rental market, that's even worse. Uh, and some someone suggested, who obviously isn't isn't struggling themselves, but they someone suggested uh, seniors try to minimise the impact of rising costs by shopping around for lower prices, buying in bulk where possible, negotiating better deals with uh, providers and all that stuff. But that's that's pretty unrealistic, isn't it? Oh no, I'm glad somebody's finally told pensioners <laughs> to shop around for savings. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That's right, <laughs> but uh, are you are you are you seeing that in terms of the people you deal with? Are you seeing that uh, as an increasing problem, just surviving in the current climate? Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that in a few different ways. I, I, I'm trying to think how how to talk about a problem that we're starting to see without getting into too much technical detail. But you know, the the state government passed some rental reforms last year, which were largely, you know, overwhelmingly quite good for renters, uh, including older renters. But one of the changes that hasn't been so good is in the area of residential parks, uh, which a lot of older people live in, where you often see rental formulas like the rent goes up every year by the higher of 3.5% or the CPI. And pr- before the reforms, you could, you know, even if your rent went up by the prescribed amount, whether that was CPI or 3.5%, um, if it got too high, you could still challenge it. Whereas now you're just stuck with that formula, it seems. 
Uh, and the problem is that your income, if you're a pensioner, only goes up by CPI. The pension does not go up ever by more than CPI. So any time that CPI is below 3.5%, the rent goes up faster than your income does. Uh, and people in rent residential parks have very limited capacity to move, which of course is the, the sort of market solution to your rent's too high. You just go somewhere else. And if you're in a residential park, you cannot do that. Um, so that, that has been uh, more of a problem that we're seeing and uh, we'll be concerned to sort of monitor that situation and see uh, what we need to do about it. All right, we might give more time to the technical details next month then, Shane, because I know you've got to be out of here, out of studio too, in two minutes or something, you've got to be... So, uh... <laughs> Look, I don't know that the listeners are crying out for a detailed technical analysis of the Residential Cancer Act. Can, they can hang on for a month. Next month, they, will, they know what's coming. They're going to get they're going to get a referendum in Berlin and technical details oh, that's, of, yeah, that's of pensioners struggling to survive. Um, but Shane, look, thanks for your time this morning and... Um, and um, he, although I want to point out to listeners, he was offered a cup of tea, Shane, and he knocked it back. I mean, this is that's a bit insulting in this place, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. If we're in the same room, I would take the tea from you, but you would have had to get up, come around. <laughs> I was happy to serve you, oh, Shane, that's but no, that's it. You knocked it back. No, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, look, Shane, thanks for your time, seriously, and we'll talk again next month. All right, cheers. Thank you both. Okay, thanks. thanks. Okay, take a break. We're coming back, and, um, and Zeb, we're going to have Catherine on the line. Yes, after a, a little bit of a break. I've been feeling like a lone wolf dancing in the street light, howling at the moon. When I hear the beat, not a guy, but we own That's what a brother do. Spreading that mood, bro. Get me on the dance floor. We could have a dance off, do it all night. Feeling all juiced up, getting my groove on. Set it up super. We could take a flight. I said, ooh, you got me feeling myself. Now I put it on you. Cool as hell. I said, ooh, you got me feeling myself. Now put it on you Looking back, are you really on track? Are you really on the path to where you wanna be? Doing out of nungo, only know me. I ain't in the coma, I really don't sleep. I ain't even tripping every minute that I'm living. I'ma kill it on the rhythm, we can keep it low key. I said, ooh, it got me feeling myself. Now I put it on you. Cool as hell. I said, ooh, it got me feeling myself. Now I put it on you. You could be my favorite
has your subscription lapsed? We want you back. Spend more than the evening with us. Reunite with us. Subscribe to 3CR and get excited. Call 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. And let's get back together. It'll feel so good. Hi family, I'm Sergio from Che Sudaka and I wanted to invite you to join Community Radio 3CR. Subscribe please, because they need your help. Okay, we've got Catherine on the line. Catherine, I'm going to apologise before we start because we're getting low on time. We've we raved on this morning, but uh, Catherine, of course, is from People for Public Housing and other public housing groups. Captain, I'll let you tell us what you want to talk about this morning rather than ask things I've got in front of me. Ah. Hello. Have I... I might have done something wrong there, so <laughs> um, I'll go to another quick break. Ah, right. And we'll do that again. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Wednesday the 16th of February at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form from the 3CR website 3cr.org.au forward slash people. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. All right. Okay, this time I hope we have got Catherine on the line. I'll repeat because we've got even less time now, Catherine. But um... I'm back again and I'm a fast talker. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Talk fast and tell us what you want to talk about, yeah. Okay, number one, I want to talk. I just want to cut to the punch today, you know. I don't want any pre-election bullshit discussions because we're past that. Um, I want to talk about the fact that homelessness kills. And there's blood on people's hands at the moment. We had a murder in the laneway off Elizabeth Street. On Sunday, January the 30th, we did a memorial service. 
um, with the From Us To You crew down at Batman Park. That's our, um, our street family. Um, it's a great place where there's love, food, and it's a safe place to connect for meals. Um, and they're crowdfunded. They're amazing, and they're resourced totally by volunteers. That's the number one thing on my list today. I get in there at least once a week to touch base. Um, you know, those guys and women and and everyone who's out on the street, they're absolute warriors, you know. They deserve a home. They've been out on the street fighting hard for too long, you know, and their hearts are like gold. They'd give up their blanket, coin, tobacco, you know. They'd do anything. They'd stand in front of a bullet for you. So it really is time for Steps to a Home and on that note, we've, we're back on the steps with Joe Toscano um, every Thursday at Parliament. We make sure that we're heard and we've got room on the steps. Um, that's from 12 to 1, because I was really, really angry when I arrived last Thursday and Joe said, Catherine, you know, you need to calm down. You're just simmering. And I said, well, I was on the bus and have a look at the waste of all the taxpayers' money, our hard-earned money on all the security for Biden being in town. You know, what a waste. And all the cops out there Mm -hmm. hunting people down for no good reason on stolen land when we can't even build houses for the people who live in our country. Yeah, you've got every right to be angry. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm really pissed off. Um, You know, and then just touching briefly on the stolen land issue, um, you know... I'm currently in a relationship with an Aboriginal man. So, you know, the police, the way they are harassing families and targeting individuals across the state is cold-blooded, calculated genocide, you know. Police knocking on my door at 7.30 on a Sunday night, um, you know, and the, the person doesn't have any current outstanding warrants or charges. It's ridiculous, you know, using number plate technology. You know, up in Echuca, we've got police following 13-year-old girls with no criminal charges down the street. And that's not touching on what's happening in Kempsey, the persecution of Paul um, Silver and the Dungay family, Christine Rose Dungay, um, you know, and just right across Nam and the Kulin Nation and Shepparton. Shepparton is right. You know, thank God we've got a great not-for-profit up there called Gallowa, who um, a, they look after people experiencing incarceration, people going in and people coming out, to give them a hand up and a hand out and to protect them from these predators. Because it's spiritual warfare, you know, that's what genocide is. It's nothing new. It's been going on for centuries, but it is really right off the rails at the moment. And we see it also, of course, with the police attitude to uh, to North African youth as well um, in parts of yes. Northern America. You know, they, totally. They cop it completely. Anyone of colour. Yeah, yeah. Anyone of colour, anyone who's vulnerable, they're targeting people with disabilities and they don't care what colour their skin is. And there's a Royal Commission um, underway about the incarceration of people living with a disability. 
um, or experiencing a disability, um, whether it be mental, physical, etc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we thought Dylan Voller and um, Donvale was a one-off. Well, bloody hell. When this Royal Commission comes out, it'll blow the lid off everything. And Val's, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, are in the process of sitting down with very traumatised people and having to have a yarn with them, you know, without letting them or trying to care for them so they're not reliving too much trauma while they document it, you know. It's beyond belief, all this stuff. Yeah, and the I mentioned to Shane as well that uh, the city of Melbourne at the moment is seeking private donations, and some big capitalists gave them a donation last week um, to build a, a refuge for homeless people in the city. People you talk about, but why should the public? Yeah, why why should that be the responsibility? Or, or I mean, they should they be responsible for it, the capitalists. But surely the state must be responsible for providing that accommodation. Yeah, they've got money to build bloody prisons because they profit from prisons. They've got money to keep propping up, you know, propping up the court systems and the white man legal system that doesn't deliver justice for anyone. You know, we've got to revert back to all law, L-O-R-E, and clean it all up. And, you know, from my personal perspective, since the beginning of December, with all the Centrelink mayhem and everything else that's happening... I've been putting food on people's tables, helping them to pay their rent, you know, put petrol in their car. And mums, all the mums with kids, just trying to get their kids back to school. You know, it's just insane. The lack of support there is gobsmacking. Mm. But we've got money on to spend on security. We've got money to spend on anything that the dirty, rotten pollies need. And that's our hard-earned bucks. And, yeah, yeah, the city of Melbourne has to be accountable. It's time for them to stand up, you know. Everyone's got to stand up and speak out, and we've got to get those lazy asses up on their feet working for us. Yep, look, we certainly we are out of time, but Catherine, I think I we'll, we'll give you that. more time now next month because I'll let you, yeah. um, what you've said is so important and we'll, uh, we'll mm. develop it again next month and... Um, and see what happens. But look, thanks so much for your time this morning and thanks for saying what you feel from the heart. It's great to hear. Mm. I deeply appreciate you giving me the opportunity to bring out my message, Dick. Thank you. It helps relieve some of my pain, really. <laughs> well, it's the first time I think City Limits has ever made anyone feel relieved. But anyway, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks you, re- you relieve the pressure. You take the pressure <laughs> off me. Thank you. Okay, Catherine. <laughs> look, thanks so much. And we will talk to you next month in more time. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Good luck. Thanks a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Catherine, of course, from various public housing groups, including people from public housing. And, and she reminds us, and I'm sure that Joe will remind us, that the Thursday... Um, Parliament House 12 to 1 is still on. Yep. Seb, thanks for your time. And next next week, um, we're going to do a special on that seminar that was held last week, or the, the Zoom um, meeting that was held last week about housing. Um, we're going to do an edited version of that on next week's program. And you, yep. you're doing something with... with um, with Korea, oh, yeah, Korea, still you? a bit in the works, but we'll we'll have a we'll still have a live intro, potentially a, a little interview if we can fit it in. Um, but yeah, most of it will be. And I'm a I'm heading off of to uh, I'm heading off to show my expertise at not catching waves for the next week or so, so <laughs> down the down the surf coast. So, okay.
<laughs> yeah, thanks everyone. By the way, the song in the middle of this uh, was Cool as Hell by Baker Boy. Uh, I'll leave you with a short, um, just another hint to go and subscribe to 3CR if you've forgotten to renew your subscription and we'll go to Anarchist World this week. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.